present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Shall we pray? Father, as we have been working our way through this letter to the Romans, it has been so rich with practical application. There are things that have been brought to mind for each one of us as we have studied the Scripture, and today you have a word for us too. A word about holiness, about living in a way that is pleasing to you and not following the way of the world. And I pray that our hearts would be open this morning to what it is you want to say to each one of us and that we would be obedient to the things that you ask of us in your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that I like to do when I study the Scripture is to find what I call summary statements or to think about sort of short statements or words that can help me to remember the big ideas of a text. Uh, We have an example of that up here when this theme for the book of Romans that we have had up in front of us on the banners is that the righteous will live by faith. That's a big idea in the book of Romans, that we come to know Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord by faith, by placing our trust, our confidence in Jesus Christ. But we also live the Christian life by faith. Now, we cannot do this in our own strength alone. We can't kind of gut it out and try to change ourselves and make things happen. We need to rely upon Christ every single day. It is Christ in us who changes us and who lives His life through us when we yield ourselves to Him in obedience. And so we've talked about how important it is that we grow in our relationship with Christ and learn to walk by faith. I also think that you find summary statements in the Scripture. Uh, Jesus Himself gave us an example of this when in Matthew 22, He summed up all the law and the prophets this way. When He said that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it to love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus was giving a a summary statement, if you will, of what the commandments are all about. We are to love God and we are to love people. Now when Jesus said that, He wasn't saying that you don't need to study the law. You don't need to study the Old Testament or read that or this is all you need to know. No, He wants us to dig into His Word. But he was giving us a summary statement that is so simple and profound that even a child can understand that and understand what is at the heart of the Scriptures, that we are to love God with everything that we have and we are to love our neighbor as ourself. The Bible also gives summary statements concerning the character of God when we think about His attributes. And two of those direct statements are these, where it says that God is light And God is love. When we think about God as light, John the Apostle wrote that this is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you that God is light 
and in him there is no darkness at all. And the Bible uses these words, light and dark, as as metaphors. Light represents all that is holy and pure and good. And darkness represents sin and evil. And so John is declaring about God that He is light. He is pure, light, holy, good, righteous. In Him there is no darkness at all. And then he also will later in his letter tell us that God is love. And he says that whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. God is caring. He is compassionate. He is forgiving. He is gracious. And when you think about God then, you can look at all of His attributes and you can think about Him as holy, pure, good, Righteous, and you can think about Him as loving and kind and faithful and forgiving. It should not come as any surprise then that if we are called to be His children, that we also are to be light and love in this world. He has called us to walk in the light with Christ. He has called us to love our neighbor as ourself. Last week in Romans 13, uh, Paul wrote about that and we talked about what it means to put our love in action and to love our neighbor as ourself. And today we're going to be talking about what it means to live as a child of the light and to walk with Jesus Christ in that light and to be holy even as He is holy. Well, let's take a look. Paul, first of all, says that one of the things we need to understand is we need to understand the time in which we live. And we see that in verse 11. He has called us to love. He said that love does no harm to its neighbor. Love is the fulfillment of the law. And we are to do these things, understanding the present time, that the hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. We need to understand that we live between two advents. We live between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. And every day that goes by brings us one day closer to that day when Christ is going to return. And we don't know whether it's going to be this afternoon or whether it's going to be tomorrow or a hundred years from now or five hundred years from now. We don't know whether we are going to step into eternity today or whether it's going to be tomorrow or whether we're going to have 10 or 50 years to live or however long it may be. But each day we live, we are one day closer to seeing Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us that this day, this age in which we live is the day of salvation. It is the day to bring the good news of salvation to those who have never heard Because every person who has been created is going to spend eternity somewhere. Either eternity in heaven with God or eternity in hell separated from God. And so it is very important that people come to know Christ as Savior and Lord. It is important that they hear who He is because there is only one way of salvation and that is through Jesus Christ. The apostles wrote and proclaimed that there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name given under heaven among men by which we may be saved. It is only through Jesus Christ that our sins can be forgiven. 
And there is no second chance, the Bible says. That after you die, that is it. Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that comes the judgment. There's no reincarnation. There's no kind of second window of opportunity to have a do-over or some kind of a situation like that. The Bible makes it very clear that what we do in this life is of eternal significance. The world wants to challenge that belief. The world wants to say things like, you know, all religions are the same or that it really doesn't matter what you believe or what you think about God. You know, you can have your ideas. I have my ideas. That's fine. It really doesn't matter. But that's not what Jesus Himself said. Jesus Himself said that I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so there is an urgency to the time in which we live. Jesus would say that this is the day and night is coming when no one can work, that there is going to be this window of opportunity that will pass. There is one thing that we cannot do in heaven, and that is we cannot evangelize in heaven. Uh, This is the time in which people need to hear about Jesus Christ. And we are to give ourselves fully to join Him in what He is doing in our world. Now, when I think about the times in which we live, I mean, these are interesting days, aren't they? I mean, when you read the newspaper, you hear what's going on and what's being talked about on the Internet. Uh, There is tremendous concern over a global economic crisis, or slowdown at least, and fears of a recession becoming worse than what it is, and we just don't know how it's going to go. But I think of these things as ways in which God gets our attention. And he checks the greed of man that can run amok. And there are times when there need to be these kind of corrections. But we understand in the book of Revelation that there will come that day in that final day when Christ will return, when in one hour the Bible says Babylon, this world system, is going to fall. And we see pictures of how that could happen in our present day. We have concerns today about a global pandemic. And we pray that this flu that has spread is not going to be as bad as was feared. But it's interesting how quickly everybody reacts and the World Health Organization and the CDC and all of these different organizations are concerned that one day there's going to be this bug or this flu that's going to come that we won't be able to treat. We won't have anything to stop the spread of that. We pray that this isn't the one, but you can see how time and time again there are concerns uh, we have had over AIDS uh, and over other diseases in our world and now viruses such as this. It is another way, I believe, where God gets our attention and shows us our own human frailty. And at any moment He could set in motion the things that would lead to Christ's return. We also read about and hear about in our world global terrorism. We are concerned about terrorism in uh, both Iraq and Afghanistan and other parts of the world, and now great concerns about Pakistan and the security situation there. Uh, We are concerned about Al-Qaeda getting closer to taking control of large parts of that country, which has nuclear capability, and what will happen if 
organizations that are terrorist organizations were to get control of nuclear weapons. It is a tremendous fear in our world of what may happen should those situations develop. And yet at the same time, as you have these global concerns, you also have global evangelization. You have the spread of the gospel like never before to places around the world, including in the Middle East, where God is at work and drawing people to himself. And we are hearing these reports of the advance of the gospel in unprecedented ways. It's a tremendous day in which we live. And one can't help but wonder as we see these events unfolding if God is not preparing us for that time when Jesus Christ will return. The great difference between the believer and the unbeliever can be summed up in one word. It is hope. The believer looks at these things and understands that God is sovereign and we have hope because our confidence is in Christ. The unbeliever looks at what's happening in our world and there is fear and there is great concern because to the unbeliever, this is all there is. And if they don't believe in God, they try to become God and they try to control the world and all that's happening there. But we can't. Only God can. Only God is God. And for the believer, we have a future and a hope. And so he calls us to make the most of the time in which we have been given. To make the most of the days in which we live and to use our gifts fully for him. Because one day we will stand before Christ to give an account for everything that we have done in our life. And we will stand before Christ and share how we have used our gifts for his honor and glory. Or we will be held accountable for how we have not used them. We need to understand the times in which we live. And secondly, Paul will go on to say that we are to put off the deeds of darkness in verses 12 and following. He tells us there that the night is nearly over, the day is almost here, so let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. If we are a child of God, we belong to the light, not to the darkness. God has called us out of this dark world to be a child and to be a part of His kingdom and to grow in our relationship with Him. And this world in which we live, the Bible says, is characterized by these kinds of things, by intemperance, by immorality, and by quarrels and factions. And you can see that in the descriptions that are here. When he talks about intemperance, he's talking about things like orgies and drunkenness, or what we would call partying or party lifestyle. I mean, when you read these things and the list that is given here, it's very descriptive of what takes place, uh, unfortunately, on many college campuses today, but it also takes place in neighborhoods and cities and areas that we know as well. There is sexual immorality. There is debauchery. And debauchery speaks of a kind of depravity that is so bad that people no longer even feel shame or guilt over what they are doing. 
They have gone so far and been hardened by sin that they have come to the point where again they call evil good and they call good evil. And they engage in a lifestyle that is immoral in the eyes of God and they don't have a clue. They participate in quarrels and factions, dissension and jealousy, fighting and blaming others. And the sinner is always looking for someone that he can blame for his behavior. That started with Adam and Eve. When Adam blamed Eve and Adam blamed God for giving Eve to him. And we always try to excuse our behavior as though it's not our fault. And yet we are accountable for the choices that we make. When I look at this list that is describing man's sin here and the way our world operates, I mean, how many movies and how many TV shows are there where this is really the focus? I mean, they have sophomoric behavior. They focus on things like sexual immorality and drunkenness, and they lift that up as though that is funny and humorous. And their crude behavior is just fine. And yet the Bible says that those who participate in such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He calls us to come out from that and to live differently. You know, this is the way the world is and has been. If you go back to the Roman era in which the New Testament was written, you will find that it was characterized by sex and violence as well. And the Romans used sex and violence to entertain the masses. They had the theater, which was decadent. They had the arena with the gladiators that was violent. And people came and they watched those kind of things and participated in them in their pagan worship. They had religion and they had temple prostitutes. And they combined sexual immorality and the worship of pagan gods. That's the way the world has been and continues to be. And God, again, calls us out from the world to live differently for Jesus Christ. This was also the world in which Augustine grew up when God called him out of the world and into a relationship with Christ. And Augustine's conversion centered around these verses that we are looking at today. Let me tell you a little bit about him in case you are not familiar with his story. James Boyce summarized a part of his life in this way. St. Augustine's first name was Aurelius, though he himself never used it. We know it only from those who wrote about him. Augustine was born on November 13, 354 A.D. He was born of a mixed pagan and Christian parentage. His mother was a Christian. His father was a pagan. He was born in a small town in North Africa, just across from Italy. His parents had great ambitions for him, but their desires were different. His mother wanted him to become a Christian and to follow Jesus Christ, and she prayed for him faithfully. His father wanted him to be successful in life and wanted him to study rhetoric, and so he sent him to the university at Carthage a place that was known, as many, again, universities are today, uh, for its corruption and decadence. And there at Carthage, he just followed the way of the world. He was trained as a rhetorician. He was very good at what he did. But as a young man, he engaged in sexual immorality and drunkenness. He did not know what true love was really about. 
Augustine went on after his uh, got his degree in rhetoric. He went on to make his way across from Sicily to Italy. And he began to make a living by arguing cases of law and giving speeches. He was brilliant and so successful that he later moved to Rome and eventually he moved from Rome to Milan where he had been appointed as a, a professor of rhetoric. This particular post gave him a high social standing, brought him into contact with the most influential people in Italy, even members of the Roman court. Uh, he was climbing the ladder, if you will, of success in his own day and achieving that. But when he came to know Christ, he would write about all of these experiences much later in his book, His Confessions. And he said this, he said, God, Thou hast formed us for Thyself, and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in Thee. Augustine was 32 years old when he came to know Christ as his Savior and Lord. And he wrote about those things that he had pursued in his life. Sexual immorality, drunkenness, parties. Searching for the truth, trying to find it in philosophies and education of his time seeking fame and significance through his work and achievements and accomplishments. And yet none of that satisfied him. He was religious in that he knew things about God, but he did not know God. And it was not until one day when he was at the garden of a friend that he threw himself down on the ground and he cried out to God. And he said, How long, O Lord, will you be angry forever? Remember not my former iniquities. And as he was laying there prostrate before God, he heard a voice, the voice of a child in a neighbor's yard. And it kept saying over and over again, take up and read, take up and read. He thought it so unusual. He did not know of any child's game that would say this. And so he took it as a word from the Lord and he opened up his Bible and his eyes came upon these very verses. And what he read was that the night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. And let us behave decently as in the daytime not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy, but rather clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I did not read any farther, for a light came into my soul that day, and the darkness vanished. The power of God's Word broke through to Augustine's heart. And when you think about his life, verse 13 is who Augustine was. And verse 14 is who he became. And God would use him to be one of the great leaders and teachers in the church. He is probably the most significant person between the Apostle Paul and Luther in terms of the profound impact that he had upon the church. God still changes lives. Last week, those of you that were here at the Missionary Evangelism to Corrections program heard powerful testimonies, including uh, Sheila Ray Charles, who shared her own testimony of sin and a reckless lifestyle and addictions and ending up in prison and 
falling on the floor of that prison cell before God and crying out for His mercy and forgiveness and coming to faith in Jesus Christ. A dramatic change took place in her life. And God does that over and over again when people will repent of their sin and turn to Him. What is your story? And how has God changed your life? And what has He done in your experience? That perhaps others could learn from your testimony as you share that with someone else. Has God set you free from those struggles that you were wrestling with? Or are you still struggling with some of those things and caught in a web of sin? Listen to what Peter writes in 1 Peter 4, verses 3-5, to when he said, For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They think it strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. The time has come to put the past behind and to walk in the light with Jesus Christ. And so Paul calls each one of us to put on the armor of light. He reminds us that there is a war going on in our world. It is a spiritual conflict between good and evil and between God and Satan. Satan is not God's equal. Satan is simply a creature who has fallen and rebelled against God. But his influence in this world is strong and powerful. And we can't avoid it. We live in a fallen world, but we can be ready for it. And we can prepare for the battles by clothing ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. To put on the Lord Jesus Christ means that we put everything under His Lordship. Our dreams, our thoughts, our ambitions, our attitudes, our motives, all of those things we surrender to Jesus Christ and say, Lord, would You fill me and use me as Your child this day. We clothe ourselves with the armor of God that He has given us. And in the book of Ephesians, we read about that. That He has given us the belt of truth that holds our armor together. He has given us this breastplate of righteousness that is the righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ. Our feet are to be fitted with the gospel of peace, ready to share the good news. We are to take up the shield of faith with which we can extinguish the fiery darts of the enemy. We are to put on the helmet of salvation, secure in what Christ has done for us. And we are to take up that sword of the Spirit that is the Word of God. And we are to pray at all times, on all occasions in the Spirit, which is the power of prayer that He has given to each one of us. When we look at that list, there are seven items mentioned there. Perfect and complete. Able to protect us in the battles that we are in. But if you think of a soldier going into battle, a soldier would never intentionally leave his armor at home, would he? It would be foolish to go into battle without your armor. And so he calls each one of us to daily take up those items, to walk in Jesus Christ, covered by His righteousness, to know the Word of God and to be ready to use it, to hold on to Christ in faith and to trust Him to work in our life and to continually be talking to the Father in prayer.
praying on all occasions at all times in the Spirit. We are to live ready for the battle as Christians in a fallen world. You see, there comes a point in everyone's life when we need to put the past behind and walk in the light with Christ. There comes that choice that we must make. It's not only a once-for-all kind of decision in terms of our salvation, but there are also those day-by-day decisions that we need to make to turn away from sin, to put those things away that are causing us to stumble, to say no to the world, and to say yes to following Jesus. There are good resources that can help us with those kind of things. If we're struggling with addictions or battles with lust or pornography, there are good Christian resources like Every Man's Battle or Every Young Man's Battle or books like Every Woman's Battle and Every Young Woman's Battle that deal with our thought life and our heart and our attitude and help us to bring those thoughts captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. I feel like what I've been sharing today is a sober message. Indeed, it is. It is hard to get away from these things in our world when our media and advertising and books and magazines kind of flood the market out there. And we get affected by that because in the world around us, there are so many people that want to say these things are not a big deal. But it kind of eats away at our spiritual life, doesn't it? It eats away at our passion for Jesus Christ if we allow those things to come into our life. That's why we need to be in the Word. It's why we need prayer. It's why we need one another to encourage each other in our faith and to be accountable to. That we might be people who love our neighbor as ourselves and who love God with all our heart and people who live as children of light and who walk in the light with Christ. I'm going to ask you to just be quiet before the Lord and ask God what you need to do today in response to this message. And then I'll close us in prayer. Father, as we bow before you in the quietness of our heart, would you speak to each one of us? You know the thoughts. You know the attitudes. You know even the addictions or the struggles that we face. You know where the enemy has a foothold in our life. Father, today we come and we surrender that to you. And like Augustine of old who cried out to God and said, God, would you set me free? Would you do that in our life too? Would you set us free from sin so that we might walk in the light of your presence? that we might live differently in a fallen world and be witnesses that can point others to Christ. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And now to Him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before His glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.